Welcome to Friendly Words, the sermon podcast of Pratt Friends Church in Pratt, Kansas. The message you're about to hear was originally preached at Pratt Friends Church on Sunday, December 18, 2022. It asks over and over, what if things had been different in the Christmas story? Among the messages to all who will listen is this big one. God worked out all the details so we could trust in Jesus for a righteousness which would actually save us. Now, here are pastors Mike Neifert and Scott Rose. Each major holiday this year, we have been speculating what if things were different? What if the story of Easter or the story of Pentecost had happened differently if the Holy Spirit hadn't come at Pentecost or if Jesus hadn't died on the cross? And so since Christmas is coming up in a week, you got all your Christmas shopping done, we decided that we would celebrate Christmas in the same way and ask the same sort of questions and play back and forth and see how that goes. I tell Scott that this always makes me nervous because it's different than the way I usually do it, but we'll survive. And so let's pray together and invite God to bless this time and help us to hear his word. God, thank you that you are here with us and that you love us and care deeply for us. And you want us to understand your word and you want us to grow in our faith. And so I pray, God, that your word would accomplish what you desire today and that you would help Scott and I to say the words that you want us to say and not say the words you don't want us to. Pray that you'll open our ears to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. You're nervous? Mm -hmm. Me too. Me too. Oh, good. Good. I'm glad I'm not alone here. Uh, You know, Mike, I got to tell you, as we've been thinking about this, we've been really thinking about this one for a long time. I mean, the last two were pretty close together, but we've had months to to consider what if something turned out different for Christmas. And, you know, the Christmas story is so rich and full, and uh, there's so much meaning in it. But you can't help wondering, what if something didn't happen the way that we expected it to or the way that Scripture says? Would it have changed things for us? And so I got to thinking about, as we were talking, about Mary and Zechariah. We all know that story, right? But uh, the the thing that come to my mind, what if Mary had answered the angel in the same way that Zechariah did? What do you think about that? Well, if you look at the story, on the surface, they sound like they're asking the same question. Because Zechariah says, how can this be? I'm old. Basically, the angel has told him he's going to have a baby, or that his wife's going to have a baby. You got that? Okay. That would be a real miracle. Anyway, um, <laughs> and he says, how can this be? Because I'm old. And when Mary, the angel comes and visits Mary, she says, how can this be? Because I'm a virgin. So they're similar. So there's got to be some kind of difference there. But let's think about what if Mary had asked without faith? Or what if she had said no? What if she said, "Uh, nope, not going to do that? I mean, it's kind of a big imposition to say, hey, you want to, you know, you want to have a baby? I mean, that's kind of a strange thing to have an angel show up and and all of a sudden, hey, the Savior's going to be born to you. You're the virgin that the prophets spoke about. And so Mary certainly would have missed out on the blessing. We wouldn't even know her name, probably, uh, unless uh, Matthew or Luke or somebody had recorded that there was somebody that refused. And so because Mary was willing, we have 
that we have the truth of what actually did happen. And I'm going to let Scott talk about that. Yeah, those are all really good questions. I mean, there's there's so many possibilities. Um, would Jesus have even been born if Mary would have said no? And I, I went back and I was looking at scripture. And the first one I want to look at is Luke 1, verses 8 through 20, Zechariah's response. And let's listen to what really happens here. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by law, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, How can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not be able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. You know, that right there just absolutely amazes me. But I, can, I get it. I mean, come on, I'm old. My wife and I have been praying about this for a long time, and really? You're going to come now and tell me that I'm going, to have, I'm going to have a baby boy and he's going to be great in the sight of the Lord? I mean, we're both too old for this. Can you imagine that? Linda, Sheldon, hey, guess what? You're going to have a baby. <laughs> no. That's why I have retirement. My kids can take care of me. But Zechariah's response, you hear him, and it really is one of unbelief because, look, they've been probably praying for this for a very, very long time, right? And saying, hey, we want a baby, but I think there's, there's also the idea that we've given up hope. It's not going to happen. We're too old now. It's not going to happen. And then all of a sudden, here comes the angel. Now, a lot of times we can think that, that Mary answered very similarly, like, hey, I don't know if I can do this. And we're going to take a look at Mary's response, and we're going to compare the two real quick. In uh, Luke chapter 1, verses 26 and 38, a little bit further down, Luke writes, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. 
He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Now, we go back to Mary's original response. How will this be? I'm a virgin. I don't really think there was unbelief in her statement. With Zechariah, like I said before, there was that idea of unbelief. Hey, we're old. How's this po even possible now? We're, we're way beyond childbearing and It's years. funny that to think that Zechariah would have known the story of Abraham and Sarah uh, yeah. and, and how they had faith. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. He knew that story and yet he says, how's this going to be? And he wasn't nearly as old as Abraham and Sarah were. Amen. Isn't that, isn't that the truth? Then we have, we have Mary. I think there's more of a, a sense of childlike wonder in the question. Now, keep in mind, Mary, there's, there's probably endless possibilities running through Mary's mind right now. Well, I'm betrothed to get married. Are Joseph and I going to have a son? And that's how it's going to happen. But, but I'm a virgin right now. So, I mean, is this all for real? And the angel tells her, well, hey, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. So there's that sense, okay, it's not really unbelief on Mary's part as it was with Zechariah. I think it's more wonder, how is this going to take place? And so the angel explains it to her. And what's really cool about it is Mary's response to the angel, a sense of, uh, I am your servant, do what you will. And, you know, one of the things I was thinking about as I, as I read this story the, the most important thing is when we think about the what-ifs, you know, their response. What if Mary wouldn't have been believing or anything like that? There's also the idea that, you know, what, Mike, what God wants to do doesn't really depend on what we believe or don't believe. What he set in motion, he's going to make happen. History's full of that. And so we can just wonder what he's going to do. You know, sometimes we get in those positions where we're not sure exactly how God's going to do it. We know that he promises something in his word. We can say, I wonder how he's going to do that or how is this going to be? But we don't waver in faith. We just ask, hmm, so God, what are you going to do? How are you going to do this? Because I know I can't do it. So what are you going to do? Yeah, and I think the, the Christmas story is just a reminder to all of us that, that in this story in particular that we don't see the total outcome, ever. But we do know that if God comes into our lives miraculously, like he does here, and speaks something into our lives, we can rest assured that no matter what, he's going to accomplish that. It helps if we believe. Of course, if we don't, we may end up like Zechariah with his wife saying, why don't you ever talk to me? <laughs> But I'm sorry. <laughs> All right. No, that's fine. That's great. I just never thought of it that way. Yeah, that probably happened. Why aren't you talking to me? All right. Well, let's, uh, let's ask another question. 
Scott, what if Joseph hadn't been an honorable and faithful man? Oh, wow. That possibilities are endless. Honestly, if he wouldn't have been faithful and honorable, I'm thinking, you know, he, he probably would have made a big show of what was going on with Mary. I mean, here his betrothed is pregnant, shows up, and says, hey, guess what? I'm going to have a baby. And I, I can imagine Joseph, if he wasn't who he was, getting angry. I mean, that would be a natural human response and saying, all right, that's it. And dragging her before the religious leaders where she would have been convicted according to the law. She either slept with somebody or something, and so she would have been convicted of adultery and put to death by stoning. Then there's also the fact that even if she wasn't put to death, imagine, she would have been, she would have been an outcast in her community, shunned by everybody. Nobody would have talked to her. Her boy, Jesus, would have either never been born because she was stoned. I won't go there. No. Or even worse, would have been considered, part of the expression, a bastard. He would have been fatherless and been cut off and been an outcast himself. And that would have really made his future ministry pretty much impossible because we know later as we read the story of Jesus, people are saying, well, isn't he the son of Joseph and all this? We know his brothers and his sisters. He wouldn't even have been respected by his family. So what do you think on that, Mike? Well, we know that the story doesn't go like that and that Joseph was a faithful and honorable and righteous man. So let me read from Matthew chapter 1. I'm starting at verse 18. I'm going to read part of the story, and we'll get to the rest of it in just a bit. But here we go. Verse 18, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins." All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife, but he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Let's start at the beginning. It's God, right? God's the center of all this story. And God spoke to Joseph because he knew Joseph's heart. God handpicked Joseph just as much as he handpicked Mary. God knew that Joseph was going to do the right thing even before Joseph knew he was going to do the right thing. And in fact, Joseph, even before he knew anything more than the fact that his fiancée was pregnant, he was going to take a more noble route. He was not going to bring her before the religious leaders and have her convicted of adultery and stoned to death. He was not going to create a big scene and cause everybody in the, the community to treat her as an outcast, but he was simply going to go quietly and take care of things. I'm sure he was disappointed. He might have been a little bit angry, hurt for sure, but he still didn't want to embarrass Mary or to bring shame upon her. 
And he is an example of how we can react when we're embarrassed or hurt or angry or disappointed. We really need to pause when we're in those positions. In fact, there's this acronym, the HEART check, H-E-A-R-T. If you're hurting, exhausted, angry, resentful, or tense, or hungry, you should add that one in there, uh, watch out. You need to pause in life when you're feeling any of those things or when you're in those circumstances because a lot of times what comes out of your mouth and the actions that you take when you're in those positions, they're not so great. They don't reflect Jesus at all. Well, we want to be followers of God, not followers of our own hearts. We should consider what's honorable, but still check in with God. You know, we have this idea of what, what's honorable, and we've read the Bible, and sometimes we want to just apply it the way we think it ought to be applied, but we ought to ask God, check in with him. What do you want me to do? Yeah, sometimes that's not easy it to do. It is not easy to do. <laughs> in fact, this last Wednesday, or maybe it was a Wednesday before, in our Fresh Eyes on Famous Bible Sayings book, as we're studying that together, we talked about asking permission from God before we do anything. Some of people think that might be a little over the top, you know, asking him if we can go out to eat or whatever, but just asking him permission. And I've been trying to do that this week. I've remembered sometimes and not remember other times, but it's been encouraging. It reminds me that God's with me. It reminds me that everything that I do matters to him and that it matters as well to the people around me. And so I want to encourage you to consider this week how you might be more prayerful and consider more what God wants for you. And maybe ask him permission. Is this something you want me to do? Is this something that needs to be done? And uh, I don't have a ton more to say about Joseph, but I want to read one other story about him. And I'm going to start it in Matthew 2 now. Verses, I'm going to start at verse 13. It says, When they had gone, the they there is the Magi, the wise men that came and visited. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he, that is Joseph, got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. We're going to skip down a little bit. You know that Herod figured out that the Magi were not coming back as he had requested. And so he sent armed soldiers to kill every baby boy who was two years old or younger. And because Joseph was obedient and had left, Jesus was not caught up in that. But I imagine that that city never recovered from that event. Mm. Uh, imagine how horrible that was. Well, after Herod died, an angel appeared. This is verse 19. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, get up, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel for those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. So he, that is Joseph, got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets that he would be called a Nazarene. Jesus had a really cool stepdad, if we can call him that. A guy who was willing to follow God's direction... We see that Joseph needed to be an obedient God follower. He had to be. 
How many of us pay any attention to our dreams? Not very often. But here's Joseph twice. God speaks to him through the dream. And both times it says he woke up, he took the child, his mother, and he went. Amen. He went to Egypt. When he said you can go back, he goes back to Israel. But I want you to notice something. Even when Joseph was fearful, because he was when he came back from Egypt and found out that Archelaus was on the throne, even in his fearfulness, God gave him options. He allowed him to go back to Nazareth, and in doing so, prophecy was fulfilled again that he would be a Nazarene. And so I want to encourage you to seek God regularly for his direction this week and to do so when you're calm and cool and collected and when you're fearful and trust that God's going to bring about his will through you and in you and around you. Yeah, isn't that amazing? I mean, just think about that. How many of us would be able to make the same kind of decisions that Joseph made? I mean, like you said, hurt and all kinds of stuff. Yeah, I can't even imagine that. He's a good example for us. Good example to trust God. So I've got another question for you. You like angels? Sure. Yeah, you ever seen one? No. Not even at Christmas time? No. I've seen pretend, pretend. models of angels uh, that we as we imagine them. Ah, uh, yeah. I know. I've never seen an angel either, at least as far as I know. But somebody in scripture, more than one person, obviously we found has seen angels and been talked by to by them. But on the night Jesus was born, angels appeared. So the question I'm wondering is, what if the angels had appeared to the religious leaders instead of the shepherds? Yeah, figure mm. that one out. Well, we know the religious leaders were not very keen on adult Jesus. They were the ones that persecuted him, that put him to death, that had arguments with him all the time, and that he kind of rebuked pretty strongly. I mean, he calls them names and not in a wicked way, but he was truthful in the way he spoke of them. And I have to wonder, would they have believed? I mean, they were so entrenched and everybody follow me, everybody look at me, blowing trumpets when you give and all that kind of stuff. But if they had believed, would their hearts have swelled up with pride and arrogance and said, oh, God chose us, look at us, we're so great, we're so wonderful. And would, would they have distracted people from Jesus? Would they have... Would they have really pointed people toward Jesus as the shepherds did? We're going to see that in a second. Okay, I'm giving away some of the truth, but anyway. <laughs> but if they hadn't believed, or if they, if, they had, uh, if they had believed and gone and seen, and maybe if they had followed Jesus, how would his death on the cross, which is why God sent him, how would that have taken place? Lots of speculation there. Would we have received the salvation that we have if the angel had gone to the religious leaders instead of the shepherds? Now, those are some thought-provoking questions. Think about that. And, but we, we all know what, what really happened, right? In Luke 2, Luke records, again, the birth of Jesus. And the idea, it says, starting in verse 1, it says, In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there 
to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning about what had been told them about this child. All who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. You know, I, I love that because what if Jesus had appeared to the religious leaders or the angels had appeared to the religious leaders? I don't think they would have believed it anyhow. Hey, go to Bethlehem. There's a baby laying in a manger. He's going to be the Lord, your Messiah. Really? I don't know that the religious leaders would have gotten it because I don't think they could have handled the fact that the king, the coming king, the Messiah, would have been born in such lowly conditions, especially one that's going to be called the Son of God. That, that just did not make sense. But the shepherds, on the other hand, hold it. A heavenly vision, something this great, the, the lowliness of it resonated, I think, resonated with their hearts, as it often does with us when we celebrate this miracle of Christ's birth, our own lowliness. You know, there's, there's a lot of big churches with a lot of rich people, but I think there's a lot of small churches with a lot of poor people that are more in tune with this story than those religious elite or, or whatever. And that's not to say everybody's like that. But then there's this other part of it out of Philippians. In your relationships with one another, had the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So here you have a baby born in lowly conditions that lives his life basically in lowly conditions, as far as we know. I mean, he wasn't rich or powerful. He didn't live in a palace, son of a carpenter or stonemason. And he was, he was humble. He didn't look for power or fame or anything like that. He just lived among the people and walked among them, and, and loved them. So that, that whole idea, the whole story of Jesus' beginning flows from that story beginning in a manger. And then later, 
At the beginning of Jesus' ministry in Luke again, chapter 4, verses 14 through 20, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. This is after he's been tempted for 40 days in the desert. He's fasting, being tempted by the devil. And news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, unrolling it. He found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So, you know, I, as I think about that, you, you hear who Jesus came to minister to? It wasn't the rich and the powerful. Yeah, he, re, he wanted to reach them, but it was the people, the brokenhearted, the blind, the lame, the, those who were outcasts, the, didn't fit in. And God used Jesus. That was where he wanted to build his ministry. So the beginnings, that, that whole idea, this baby born in the manger, the angels had, I think the angels had to appear. That was God's plan. They had to appear to the shepherds, not the religious leaders or King Herod. King Herod probably wouldn't have even cared. He would have tried to figure out how to kill Jesus sooner, I think. And I think just to piggyback a little bit on what you said, Jesus intended for the Pharisees and the Sadducees and all those guys that that he wanted them to believe. The parables that he oh, told yeah. were intended to cause them to repent, but they refused. I just thought of that as you were saying, so I want to add that in there. Yes, it's so, so good. One more question. Uh -oh. What if Jesus hadn't been consecrated to the Lord in accordance with the law? Why did I get the hard question? <laughs> well, let's see. You know, as I think about that question, very first thing for me is that the prophecies... If Jesus hadn't been a consecrated according to the law, the prophecies of Jesus wouldn't have been able to be fulfilled. It just wouldn't be possible because they had to be fulfilled from beginning to end, every one of them. The, the law wouldn't have been fulfilled because consecration was commanded by the law that after the, the child after 33 days, the male child, firstborn of the womb, had to be consecrated unto the Lord. That was part of what God said for, for every firstborn male. And then, for me, if the law is not fulfilled, then that completely changes the matter of our salvation. Because Jesus said at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, what does he say about the law? Or in the middle of it, I'm sorry. That I came to fulfill the law. Not one word of it will pass away until it's fulfilled. Then there's the matter of the, the people involved in his consecration. Simeon. He's been waiting all his life to see this. God told him that he wouldn't die until he saw this. And imagine if that wouldn't have happened. If he would have died without seeing, consecrating Jesus and knowing, he would have been left without hope. How would he even die trusting God? You know, I think, I think about that. It would have just been his whole life was a lie. He waited all that time and died and never experienced the promise that God made to him. All right.
Well, let's read the story. It's found in Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 22. When the time came for the purification rites, as Scott mentioned, it was about 33 days after birth. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took Jesus to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required. Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother, that's Mary and Joseph, marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, a daughter of Penuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after their marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth, and the child grew and became strong and was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was with him. Scott mentioned all of righteousness has to be fulfilled. If Christ doesn't fulfill everything, then we're without any hope in this world. And the interesting thing about this part of his story, he had absolutely no control over this. In order to fulfill this part of the law, his parents had to be faithful. His parents had to do what God required. Mm -hmm. And so he was able to fulfill all of righteousness because his parents were faithful to God. Just to piggyback on that, in Luke chapter 3, when Jesus came to be baptized by John, John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, but do you come to me? And then in verse 15, Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. Jesus needed to fulfill all righteousness. If he didn't, the righteousness that we receive by faith, it would be incomplete. Amen. We need a perfect Savior, the Son of God, who followed every detail of the law. Only then could his death as an innocent pay for our salvation. So thank God. Even when Jesus was too young to choose obedience for himself, his godly mother and his godly stepdad were faithful to do what the law required. We have Christ's perfect righteousness, which saves us because Jesus fulfilled all righteousness. And let's talk a little bit about Simeon and Anna. I love them. They're grateful for these stories of these two elderly people who were faithful to God all throughout their life, trusted God to fulfill his promises to them, and God was good to them and revealed the Savior to them. We don't know how long they lived after this. I mean, they were getting up there in age. Who knows? But they knew that salvation was going to be given. 
as an older person, some of you are older, you may not see everything that you want from God. You might not live to see all of that. You might not live to see the salvation of loved ones, especially in this lifetime, but trust God for his answers anyway. Trust God that he can fulfill those promises to you. If God has said that I'm going to do this, then trust that he's going to do it. And I want to leave you with Matthew 7, 7 to 11, which says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you'll find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Keep asking. Keep seeking. Keep knocking on heaven's door. This is what God commands. Obey him and let him work out the good things that he's planned. Trust him even if you don't see it for years upon years upon years. Keep trusting him. You know, Mike, that's, that's so powerful. One thing that, that I get out of this whole story is, you know what? All we have to do is be present to God. and He'll take care of the rest. And isn't that what Christmas is about? The greatest present is his presence. Let's pray together. Our gracious and mighty God, Father, we are so thankful for uh, the truth, the reality of this story. Lord, we wonder today, what if? But the reality is that with you there is no what if. You are the God, the only true God. And everything you purpose from the beginning will be accomplished. You don't depend on us, Lord. You invite us to work with you, to join you in this great, great adventure that is to build your kingdom. I pray, Lord, help us just to be, to be present and available for you when, you when you knock on the door of our hearts. Jesus, we're so thankful for your obedience that you did everything that the Father wanted you to do. Help us to follow your example every day that you may have the glory in all things. Amen. Amen. Just remember a couple things. Talk with God this week, wherever you're going. Find out what he wants you to do. If you have a little bit of, like, wonder what's going to happen, that's a good thing, right? We can wonder how God's going to do it and just trust him to do that. We hope you have been encouraged and challenged by today's sermon. If you want to hear each week's message, be sure to subscribe to Friendly Words in your podcast app. May God bless you as you follow Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit.